Cat Disgusted is a show about veterinary nursing. It is not a show about how to cure your sick pet. If your animal is sick, take it to the vet. Don't be a crazy person and use a podcast to cure your puking cat, dog, chinchilla, etc., etc. I think they would tell you the same thing. If they could. Which they can't. Which makes it hard. You know what's up. Take them to the vet. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the best of times and the worst of times in veterinary nursing. What the hell are we doing? Well, it's Chihuahua snapping feral cats flailing all while working with the baddest bitches in the business. I'm your host, Nicole Dickerson, RBT, and this... It's how our week went. Hello, you beautiful people. Uh, welcome back to Cat Disgusted. Thank you so much. I have to say this first. Thank you so much, everyone, for your overwhelmingly kind and warm response to uh, last our last episode, which was kind of heavy uh, about the boys, uh, I, and, and also just overwhelming outpouring of support generally about that situation. I very much appreciate that. And I feel like, you know, it's time now for a bit of a, an uplift in our 2017. So I got some funny stories for you guys this, this time around. Uh, it's a beautiful sunny day. So, you know, what, what better thing to do than sit inside my house with headphones on talking into a microphone for an hour or two. Um, the outdoor kitty is pacing outside, so you may hear her a little bit. She now has become a little bit more indoor-outdoor kitty since the boys have been gone, um, So, which she is very satisfied with. I'll just put that out there right away. But you know what? I can't leave her like alone in the house because I'm I'm, I live in fear of her peeing on my stuff. Even though she doesn't really seem like she wants to do that, I just feel like, you know, it, it's supervised indoor time is what we call it. Supervised indoor, indoor time. So what I thought we would do uh, today is just kind of tell a couple really good stories from the last uh, couple weeks. I feel like, you know, people react to grief differently, right? And I, I feel like my way, some people will pull away and they want to just sit in their house and play Sarah McLachlan music and light candles. And I'm not, just not really that person. Um, I like to go to work. I like to be out of the house and like out of the place that fosters the darkness. And so being at work has actually been very therapeutic because I get to talk to other people who love their animals and, and help other animals and uh, experience situations where I'm like, thank God that's not me. So, and hence, a good transition into the next couple stories that I'm going to tell. Uh, so the first story comes from, uh, fr from uh, uh, you know, I feel like this cat has, God rest her soul, I think she has departed. But we treated this same kitty several times through emergency and through our internal medicine department as well. And I've told this story uh, a couple times to friends of mine, and I feel like it's high time that I document it here on the podcast. Um, so I'll start by saying the crazy cat lady, like that caricature, absolutely does exist and walk amongst us in the world today. And I know I've talked about this before, but, you know, there's several different types of crazy and this particular owner, 
of this cat that we treated multiple times is like way in the red on the cray. Um, I can't go in. It's she's so specific, like as far as like who she is that I feel like I actually can't go into many details about her crazy here without everybody recognizing immediately who she is and knowing what her name is. And the reason why that is, is because she basically bounces around veterinary hospitals until the doctors get tired of her and she moves on to the next one. So this woman has been bouncing around with her ailing cats to several different hospitals all throughout the time that I've been working at my current hospital. Um, some of our nurses cross over with other places or do relief work in other places. Everybody knows who's, knows who she is. So her her crazy is centered around old, decrepit, feral cats. Now I don't exactly know the process as to how she acquires the cats into her home. But what happens is they are these wild animals, basically, that that she then hoards in her house. Um, and they're usually very old and have lots of terminal conditions like FIV positive, FELV positive. They have other kinds of cancer. They have skin conditions that are raging and terrible. Also raging and terrible are the cat's mental state because they are feral animals who are living in her home. So one of these patients that uh, she traveled around to various hospitals is a little kitty who had a chronic cystitis. Uh, Cystitis literally translates to bladder inflammation. Now this particular kitty, she was losing a lot of blood through her urine. Uh, Now, as far as why she was bleeding in her bladder, hmm, probably cancer. I think it was a little bit up for debate as as to exactly what was going on. But, you know, cystitis can happen with cats with stress. So the fact that she was like hoarded in this woman's house, stressed out being a, you know, a feral cat in in the house could also be contributing to the fact that she's like bleeding out through her urine. Uh, through her bladder. So the irony of this, like ugh, of the situation is just not great. Um, so this little kitty, she would come to us. Uh, she was treated for, uh, for this cystitis with blood transfusions. Now, she also had a lot of other medications that she was taking. I think she took mirtazapine as an appetite stimulant. Uh, I believe that this woman was giving her sub-Q fluids to keep her hydrated because uh, she just urinates so much. But when she's urinating so much, she's also losing blood. So she would come into the hospital when that would become, when she'd become clinical for her blood loss. And by clinical, you know, there are cats that like walk around in the world with a PCV of like 12, which is, you know, less than half of what it really should be. And they're like, cool with it. Like they ha- like, you know, Todd was probably one of those kitties in like his last, you know, month of life. He just kind of generally, his body was compensating for the fact that he didn't have a lot of red blood cells. Um, Jasper was absolutely that cat because of his chronic kidney disease because your kidneys generate um, erythropoietin, which is a chemical in your body that helps manufacture red blood cells. So if you don't got that chemical, then you ain't making no red blood cells. So I feel like there, there there are animals that walk around compensating for this chronic condition of not having a lot of red blood cells. It's just the few that they have are working really hard. Um, this kitty, so when they're clinical, it means that, uh, she's experiencing clinical signs from the blood loss. 
Her body is not compensating well. She's weak. She's got pale, pale mucous membranes, like her gum color, just white as a ghost. Um, and, and just lethargic. I mean, not a lot going on. Like her brain doesn't have a lot of blood or oxygen in it. And therefore, she's just weak and tired. So uh, when that would happen to this cat, when she'd get to that state, she would come to an emergency, come to an emergency hospital or internal medicine. In our case, I saw, I saw her through emergency quite a bit. So now let's revisit this mentation of this cat. So she was never happy to be there. Never. But she would come into the hospital with such blood loss that she'd be weak. She'd be, you know, just kind of just kind of laying there with her head kind of on her paws. First of all, she's tiny, tiny, tiny. Like she was maybe two, two kilograms, which is like, I mean, like itty, itty, itty bitty. Uh, like, and, and fully adult. I mean, she was old. She was like 17 or 18 years old, but she was just a very small, skinny little cat. So when we would see her, we'd all see her come in. Oh, here she is, right? We, should, we know she's going to need a blood transfusion. That's why she's going to be here. Uh, she would come out of her carrier and just kind of grumble. You know, just like a little, a little rumble that she wasn't happy to be there. But we all knew that she was real, real bad because she's actually, you know, a feral cat living in a house. Uh, so we would be able to do all the initial things, like we would place her IV catheter, which is always a challenge, place her catheter, get her blood transfusion going, get her in the hospital. Uh, but the thing is, is that the longer that she was there, you know, the blood transfusions, the way those work is we start those out, um, and we do it over a set period of time, like about, you know, two to four hours, depending on what the doctor wants to do. Uh, in her case, she'd received many blood transfusions before. So we always would have to cross match a sample of her blood with the blood that she was getting to make sure that they're not going to have a reaction. Cause the more blood that they get, the more likely it is they're going to react to blood. Um, just cause their body's building up antibodies that are going to attack foreign blood cells. Uh, the more antibodies you have, the less likely it is you're going to be, be, cool with getting another sample. So this kitty, we, if once she cross matched to something successfully, which you know, we did like fairly often, which is kind of amazing. Um, we'd start the transfusion. And what happens is we check on this kitty, uh, every five minutes for the first 15, 20, depending on how things are going. And then it kind of gets less frequent as, as things roll along and it gets less likely that they're going to have a transfusion reaction. Cause we're going to see that in the first half hour, like their temperature will go up. Sometimes their heart rate will go up. Sometimes their face will actually like redden and swell, like just like an allergic reaction, um, to like a bee sting, something like that. Uh, so what we would do is we'd put Kitty in a quiet cage because you know she doesn't want to be, you don't want to stimulate her a whole lot. Um, she'd go in, go in the cage, hook up her blood transfusion, and just kind of let her get it for the next, you know, it's going over two to four hours. Now, how do we monitor the temperature and the heart rate and all that? Right, it means you have to put your hands on them every five minutes for the first window of this transfusion, and the of course feral kitty wants nothing more than to be handled by vet techs every five minutes in the cage after you've poked her with needles a bunch of times. But the thing is, so she would be so weak for the first like, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour that you could do that. 
So this is what I learned about giving blood transfusions to this little kitty. Over time, that blood would reach her brain and kind of reconstitute the rage which she harbored inside of herself. So you were good for the first couple times you had to go into that cage. But if you got to like 15, 20 minutes in, oh, you had to watch out. And she was like a swatter. So like she kind of sit there all like curled up, all her little itty bitty self. And then you go in there and you open the door and you hear, you're like, who? I wonder if I'm gonna, oh, boom, 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 boom. And she would just like fire those paws at you, claws hissing, oh my God. But she would only do that like 20 minutes in because that's how long it took the blood to like reach her brain and moisten it so she could be aware of where she was. Now I learned this. Uh, with this kitty. I think I did it. I think I did two transfusions with her over like a couple months. But then I walked into work one day and I saw uh, in, the, in CCU, which is the department where the hospitalized patients go after we initially triage them and admit them to the hospital, they move across the way. Uh, and there's nurses who are dedicated to their in-hospital care. So I look, I look across the way and I see in CCU, there's this cage that's set up very, very uniquely. Like there's like this top cage and it's got uh, isolation gowns, which are covering the front of the doors of the cage, like kind of like a blind, right? But a genius technician has cut with scissors windows through those coverings and pasted saran wrap over the top of it. So it's like they're windows into this cage that are just about as wide as like, you know, like human face, like a little viewfinder to look into this cage. And I see a, 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 a syringe full of blood trickling into this unique setup. Hmm. I think I know who that is. So I, uh, I found the, the nurse who was taking care of the patient uh, behind, behind that, that screen there. And uh, apparently she's like, oh, yeah, that kitty has a URI, so we don't want her uh, sneezing everywhere and, you know, contaminating the whole uh, the whole CCU, which I was I was like, oh, that's well, that's brilliant. And I look through the window and of course it's that same little kitty. So I'm like, oh, God. So she's here for another blood transfusion. And I had seen this cat maybe maybe five or six days ago. I mean, it was, it was a really uh, like that turnaround was pretty freaking quick. I was like, Oh my God, she's back already. So, uh, I, what I see though is, uh, I see, uh, by this, is my buddy, Kristen, I see Kristen getting, uh, her blood transfusion sheet and getting her thermometer. And I was like, Ooh, Ooh, let me help you. Let me help you. And she was like, no, 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 she's been fine. I mean, like I've been temping her and, you know, listening to her heart rate the whole time by myself. It's been fine. I'm like, okay, but, but, how, how long has that blood transfusion been going? And she's like, oh, about 15, 20 minutes. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to need to help you. She's like, no, 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 she's been fine. And as she's saying that, she looks in the window and she's like, oh, that's funny. She moved. Huh. She's been sitting in the same place this whole time, like barely reacting to anything. And hmm, she's at the back of the cage now. Oh, well, anyway. Okay. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. You're going to need help. You're going to need help. Now, the way that we joked about this before was that when you had to uh, take the temperature of this kitty or deal with this kitty, you needed two people because the little pop, 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 pop of those front paws and the rage, um, I would get a towel and I would tell everybody like, you know, it's time for the Game of Thrones. Winter is coming. Everyone give us room. 
the cat, the beast must be handled. Uh, so sure enough, I grab my towel and I'm like, just trust me, you're going to need, you're going to need help. She's like, oh, okay, all right, fine, fine, fine. So I open the cage, sure enough, and throw the towel over her. And Kristen's like, oh, well, wow, that didn't happen before. I'm like, dude, I know. It's because we're at that time limit. 15, 20 minutes into these blood transfusions, the rage has been reconstituted in this animal. And now she is barely handleable. So I held the kitty, Kristen took her temperature, and then you have to like, when you get her back in the cage, you kind of have to like hands off and close the door really quick because she has this uncanny ability to like jump and turn and like nunchuck ninja whip those front paws around to get you right as you're closing the door. So sure enough, it's like, okay, temperature's done. Okay, here we go. Okay, well. Okay, here we go. Set the timer. Boop, another five minutes. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so that little kitty. So God bless her. I, I, I don't think she's with us anymore, that that, that little kitty, because uh, I haven't seen her in a while. Uh, so let's let's tell a story that has a bit of a bit le- bit less of a rage element to it. Um, I feel like I can share this with you all. I'm now starting the process of studying for and applying for my VTS specialty in emergency and critical care. Um, I ordered the study guide online. And I'm like logging cases, which is like this kind of slow, laborious start to the process. I'm just kind of, honestly, I'm out of excuses not to do it. So now I have to do it. God damn it. Um, So it's a lot of work. We'll see how it goes. But because of that, uh, I'm starting to kind of keep track of some cases of some unique ones because you have to like have a whole case log that you send in to this board of very hypercritical, very smart people. Um, and they decide whether or not you're worthy. Uh, one of the cases that I fully intend on sending to those people um, is the case of the washing machine kitten. We got a page on our little uh, iPods that said owners bringing in kitten has been in the washing machine for 10 minutes, not sure if she's breathing, dot, dot, dot. It was that kind of a page where like, oh my God. So uh, about 20 minutes later, um, we got, I think one of I think one of our our technicians was up there in the lobby when this kitten came through the door, and I remember her walking back to the treatment area with this bed with a towel over it, and she said she's like she's meowing. There's noises coming out of this bed, and sure enough, we peel back the towel, and there is this little black kitten soaked to the bone. I mean, like drowned cat. Like, I feel like, you know, you see like wet cats, you know I mean? Like you have to give them a bath if they have flea meds on them, that's causing problems or whatever. But this cat looked like she had been like literally drowned, like dipped underneath water for a cool minute. And she was meowing and like crying, but just not moving at all. She was shaking. I mean, this kitty was in a state. And so turns out uh, it was a front load washing machine and they had thrown in all their clothes and started that sucker up. 
and heard her screaming in there, but they didn't, they think that that washing machine was on like for like 10 minutes. And they were very, they kept saying there, at least we didn't get into spin cycle. I think we got her out before the spin cycle. <laughs> like, oh my God. So this poor kitty, first thing we did was warm her up, like with our big warm, uh, we call it a bear hugger. It's this big hot air thing. They have them for human medicine too, but in like a larger size. It looks like a big hot pillowcase filled with air. We had a hair dryer going to try to dry her off. All in that period of time, um, I'm placing a catheter, we're starting IV fluids, we're giving um, hypertonic saline to help with her head trauma, because that's what it looked like she really was suffering from. She was she was non, totally non-seeing, like temporary, you know, thankfully was temporarily blind. Her eyes were like pinpoint. She just, she was not mentally appropriate is what we say. Like, I mean, she, obvious head trauma, drama. It just took time with her, really. We took full body x-rays and nothing was broken. Uh, her lungs obviously looked like she had inhaled some water. She had some like, you know, interstitial patterns in her lungs that looked, you know, that looked like trauma, um, whether that's from being banged around in the washing machine or whether that's from inhaling water. Um she had uh, torn claws, the poor thing, because she was probably scrabbling about in that washing machine. But this ki- this is the thing about puppies and kittens is they are so resilient. Like this kitten was only three, four months old. Little thing. But I was amazed. Okay, so we so we just gave her some time, warmed her up, gave her her fluids. All of a sudden, she starts like kind of scrabbling about a little bit. She's lifting her head. She's like seeing shadows walk by. I remember uh, the nurse that triaged her at the front walked by her head and kind of looked at her and she like turned her head like she saw her shadow and it was like, oh my goodness, she's seeing something. That's cool. Um, so this little kitten... She suddenly sits up and starts trying to chew at her ivy catheter. Oh, 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 e-collar. Oh, God. So then we put a little e-collar on her and the doctor was like, oh, she's kind of coming back. Maybe she wants to eat something because we always worry about puppies and kittens getting so hypoglycemic, you know, because they they can they, that can happen very easily. They can expend all their energy and they need to eat again. Obviously, she had expended a mighty might of energy. Uh, so as soon as she started to kind of try to sit up and move her head around, um, the doctor put some food in front of her and she ate like a freaking horse. It was unbelievable. She's like, nom, 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 nom. And it was at that point that I was like, you know what? I think this kitten's going to be all right. <laughs> like, I think she's going to be all right. It's amazing. Uh, but she like as she's eating and like kind of like looking around, my God. So all of that was within about an hour, about, about an hour and a half of getting her warm, getting her some fluids, getting her some, and the hypertonic saline. It's uh so what that is it's it's a it's a it's like saline that you give intravenously like you see in a lot of emergency rooms for human hospitals they'll hook you up to an IV saline drip but that has the same osmolarity as your normal body chemistry does so like that saline is the same at like the, it doesn't um it's not going to do anything abnormal to the fluid in your body except replace it. Um, now, hypertonic saline, that has a higher concentration of salt. And so just like the basics of chemistry that we learn about, you know, like th- that uh, things will, mo- you know, molecules will move from an area of high concentration to low concentration, that that naturally happens. When you have swelling, uh, like in your brain, if you give a solution that has a high concentration, then it's going to suck all the fluid 
out of the tissues and back into your bloodstream, right? Because those all those the, the molecules are moving from high concentration to low and your brain, the swelling in your brain is nothing but fluid that's building up in there. So and sucks into your bloodstream so you can urinate it out or whatever, all that excess fluid. So it decreases brain swelling. So after we gave that, it really was after we gave that injection and, and gave her regular IV fluids to bring her, her blood pressure back up that she'd start to look so good. So we put her in an oxygen cage just because her lungs were damaged, you know, for like, like they would be from inhaling soap bubbles for 10 minutes. Um, and she, but she was like walking around by the time we got her in the oxygen cage, she was walking around with her little like hard cone of shame on because she wanted to chew her IV catheter. She'd eaten like half a can of cat food. She was kind of looking around and looking at us and going, mow, mow. Unbelievable. So of course, the next morning, uh, when I came in the next day, uh, in the, I come in in the afternoon around three o'clock. The first thing I did was run to where that little, that little washing machine kitty was. And lo and behold, there she is. The Ivy catheter is already pulled because she's going home. She is rolling around on the bottom of the cage. She's out of oxygen. Mow, 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 mow. She's like wanting petting. She's like, I open the case. I'm like, a washing machine kitty. And she's like, and just wants cuddles and is crazy and wants to play with things with my glasses, with like my hands. I mean, amazing. Amazing. So she went home. She went home the next day. I feel like that's what that is. That is a feel good case right there. Like washing machine kitty. We were talking about that for days. Washing machine kitty wins the prize. Now, one thing that I will say is when she first came into the hospital in her in her terrible state, her belly was so distended from swallowing water and soap bubbles uh, that when she's released to the owner, she probably went home with some pretty intense soap bubble farts and diarrhea. But really, if that's all that they have to worry about with that little kitty going home, that's going to be just fine. Oh, we nicknamed her, by the way. We called her. Maytag. All right, kids. It's been a while since we've done this, but it is high time that we had a Venipuncture of the Week. Regulators. You regulate any stealing of his property. We're damn good, too. But you can't be any geek off the street. Gotta be handy with the steal if you know what I mean. Earn your keep. Regulators! It was a clear black night, a clear white moon, warmer jeans. Yeah, that's right. Handy with the steel, like syringes, needles, and shit. That's us. It's a vet tech's happening. This Vaynerpuncture of the Week um, is a special one to me personally. So uh, you've heard me talk about... Uh, central lines before. Um, it's something that veterinary technicians always, I feel like all the veterinary technicians that I know, we all want to be good at placing those. We all want to know how to do them. Uh, and there's a couple different types that you have. Like I feel like the one that we place most commonly in my hospital is uh, what we call a sampling catheter or a single lumen central line. Uh, it's a big long catheter that feeds into a peripheral catheter and it kind of like extends that lumen all the way uh, up into to like their central vascular system. So usually up to the caudal uh, vena cava or the big, the big vein that's stemming from your heart to the back half of your body. That's where this, uh, this catheter wants to sit because you get a, a good venous sample from there. 
It also saves the animal lots of repeated um, pokes, lots of repeated blood draws with needles. If they've just got the one lumen in there, then we can just use that long catheter to get samples repeatedly uh, without having to, to poke them and do an ouchie every time, which is great. Um, the other kind of central line that we place is a jugular catheter. And that one has, uh, we call it a multi-lumen. Uh, it can be double or triple. Boy, I bet some of the fancy ones probably have even more than three. I, mean, I don't know what you would be like a Medusa head sticking out of your neck. Uh, but what this is, it's a this this one goes into the uh, into your cranial part of your body, and so it goes down uh, a jugular vein and just goes between. Uh, like your jugular and your atrium of your heart. So you don't want to go, you don't want to go all the way into the heart's atrium, but just kind of just above it. Uh, and what that does is it allows you to, to deliver things that you can't deliver peripherally, like say really high concentrations of dextrose, which is a sugar that we use for diabetic patients. Um, it, it would allow you to deliver, if you were going to do this, when you get nutrition intravenously, which in our field is a rare uh, a rare circumstance, actually, that we're doing that total parenteral uh, nutrition. But you can give those things in central lines because peripherally it can cause a lot of vasculitis, like those vessels that are on like the you know parts of your body, like your arms and your legs, your paws. Um, those vessels are a little bit more delicate versus like the closer you get to the center of the body, they're the bigger vessels. They've got large, like they've got the ability to take um, more uh, con concentrations of fluids that are not the same as your body chemistry, they can take those more easily because there's a higher concentration of fluid there. Does that kind of make sense? Um, not, not, the, not the concentration of the fluid, but just that it's like a bigger vessel. So uh, these central lines are a little bit few and far between. We're doing them more often at our hospital now, which is great. And it's a, it's a big thing if you're going towards your specialty like, like I'm trying to do. Um, it's on a checklist of skills that you have to check off that I know how to place a multi-lumen jugular catheter. So there was a, a very sick little dog that we saw in emergency and through internal medicine uh, that had uncontrolled diabetes. And by uncontrolled, I mean that they could not get his insulin dose in a way that could lower his blood sugar so that he could be a healthy dog. Um, he had repetitive bouts of what we call DKA or diabetic ketoacidosis. You've probably heard me talk about it on this program before. And what happens is uh, there's when you have a really high concentration of, um, of sugar in your blood, like diabetics do, because they can't process their sugars properly, their body is looking for energy, right? But it can't process the sugar in their blood. So it's like they're blind to it. They're like your body is going, oh my God, I need something. So because they can't process your glucose, what happens is, is it starts to process other sources of energy. And one of those sources of energy is fats. Um, and because glucagon, which is stored in your liver... Uh, is it, it, the glucagon is in your liver. That's where your body wants to process stuff, right? It's like, oh, I got to go here to get my sugars, but it can't see the sugars. The other thing that it'll process in your liver is fats. So what happens is a byproduct of fats is ketones. Um, ketones are not great for your body in high concentration. And when you have a diabetic that has ketones in their blood, it means that they need to be on IV fluids, IV insulin. Like you got you to gotta get all that toxicness out of their bloodstream. 
um, in a hospital. And that's why we call it diabetic ketoacidosis. People can also get this. Um, the acidosis is that your blood becomes really acidic from all these ketones in there. It's terrible. They feel awful. Um, and of course they have to have their blood glucose checked out sometimes hourly every two hours. So they're all really good candidates for central lines because they've got to have repeated blood draws, um, multiple IV fluid therapies going on like plain fluids and also, fluids containing insulin so that we can get their blood sugar down. Um, they're very high maintenance patients. So there's a very, very sweet little dog that um, unfortunately had this syndrome twice within seven days. Now, the vein of puncture of the week goes to my good friend Morgan because she got to place a multi-lumen jugular catheter in this dog. Um, and she did it on a day that I wasn't there but I heard all about it and I heard it went really, really well. And then seven days later, this poor dog came back into the hospital for the same condition. And she was there and I was there and I helped admit him. And so uh, the doctors said, you know, it, he he had a multi-lumen central line before. We can do that again. And I was like, oh my goodness, I've never placed one of those. That would be great. And Morgan was there and she was like, I will totally help you through this. It'll be great. I did it on him before. So I kind of know his anatomy me a little bit awesome so with a little bit of sedative uh we sedated uh this little guy and i used the other side of his neck we he had had i mean so recent that he or he still had little scabbies from where the jugular catheter was the first time so i used the other side of his of his neck to do it um both of those vessels had been touched before because you know he had had been hospitalized before and had blood draws before multiple times um but the gods were with us and I had the Morgan with me and she totally talked me through like I was like one of those you know I'd only seen this in books so like I'd seen people place them but I never done one myself so she totally talked me through it it went really really well the dog was really really tolerant um of all the upside down and stuff that we had to do he was on his back and I placed a peripheral catheter threaded a guide wire through took that peripheral off threaded a dilator through to make the hole big enough to fit the big rubbery multi-lumen line in there and then we took x-rays to make sure the placement was good sutured in place all these things are like you know you never done it before I'm like all shaking and quaking and nervous and woo it was exciting uh, and Morgan helped me through the whole thing. And it was because she had done one the week before and it had gone so well and she's so freaking awesome. And just, I, I feel like I can't, I can't say enough wonderful things about her guiding me through that process. And also the fact that she had done it for the first time herself successfully just seven days before and it had gone so well. And then she taught me how to do it. That's just freaking rad. Like hooray, go Morgan. Such the gold medal for Vaynerpuncture of the week. Not for me, for you girl, because you taught me how how to do it, which is dope. Now, I do want to say uh, one thing I wish that I'd been able to do is thank this dog. Um, he didn't do, he, he didn't bounce back. You know, I, I mean, having two, being hospitalized twice in seven days for diabetic ketoacidosis in a, in a relatively young dog, he was only four or five, that prognosis is just so poor, you know, the poor guy and expensive and like, expensive in both his health and financially for the owner. And they, they, they decided that, that euthanasia was the best course for him because they just, they couldn't, they couldn't make him well. And I didn't get a chance to thank him. So little guy, if you're out there listening, 
which, you know, you may or <laughs> may or not be appreciative of this particular vein of puncture of the week because you were the subject of it. But thank you, little guy. Thank you for that. You made me and Morgan better technicians. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you've survived another episode of Cat Disgusted. Here's to a better 2017. Let's freaking bring on some happiness, please. Um, look out for merch. I'm working on that. Y'all can wear Cat Disgusted t-shirts and stickers on cop cars and all that good stuff. So thank you so much. I will see you the next time. Remember, don't come see me at work. Bye, everybody.